You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Do you want to buy my corned beef sandwich? Uh-oh. You don't like my sandwiches, my music? I don't think that's how friends work. Maybe we shouldn't be anymore. We shouldn't be friends? Brought you food afterwards and you didn't even say thank you. Let's Come on. This is cliche. Just smile. April, have your salmon. I'm not hungry. Mom, she's allowed to be depressed. Thank you. No one as good as Nick will ever love her again. Where did this Clara girl come from anyway? April, she's here. How come I've never heard of her? She's like moved here, so I'm just showing her around. And you thought, before I show her the Chinese theater, she should see Nick's penis? Hi, you're April. Uh-huh. Do you want to go do a shot? Why are you being so nice to me? I want a reason to give you a black eye. God, your eyes are pretty. What about when he grabs your boob like in a tightly sealed jar? What about when he refers to his dick as a Quidditch stick? He hasn't done that with me. <clears throat> I think we should make some rules. I concur. First rule, no talking about Nick. Second rule, no telling Nick. Are you going to tell him? Are you a rat? Benjamin, do you want to know what happens to rats? They get shanked in their sleep. They get their carbon monoxide detectors disabled. Yeah. You guys are perfect for each other, you know that? You're my best friend. You're my best friend. I think about you all the time. You've exhibited very little personal growth. Who are you rebounding with? It's just like this girl. Oh. It's not what I meant. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm Mick White. I am joined today by Benjamin Kasulki, the director of a new film called Banana Split. That is not to be confused with the horror film from a few years ago called The Banana Splits. This is a coming-of-age comedy, and I really enjoyed it. Check it out on Amazon Prime, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Ben Kasulki. Well, I, I want to know a little bit more about you, and I want to know kind of how you got your start, because uh, you've done so many different things behind the camera, uh, and even some in front of the camera, and, and, and how did you get to this position? You know, I, was, like, I think like a lot of film, film people, I, I just got real obsessed with movies when I was young. And I, I grew up in a pretty remote place and, and there was a lot of just a lot of cold weather and uh, a lot of time indoors. You know, I watched a lot of movies as a kid and I was always going to the video store and like that sort of turned into just a fascinating fascination with movie making. And then um, I went to, to film school in Ithaca, New York at Ithaca College and and was sort of like just made movies for four years as an undergrad. I just all I did was make movies and um, kind of got out of that and there was a pretty bad recession. And, um, uh, while I was making my final movies in film school, I ended up working with a company out in Seattle that was uh, doing negative cutting. And, uh, I was sort of the era of film school student that was still shooting 16 millimeter film. And so uh, I had worked with a company that did some negative cutting for me and I knew I kind of wanted to relocate to the Pacific Northwest. And so I ended up getting a job with a company at the time that was called Andy Pratt negative cutting. Now they're called the image treasury. 
I became a negative cutter. I was like a sort of like a film archivist and um, did a lot of uh, working with camera negative and um, archiving old TV shows and movies. And uh, when I got out to Seattle at that time, there was a lot of people still shooting on film uh, that were coming through the door as local filmmakers in Seattle. And I got to meet them and work with them on uh, the negative cutting part of their um, process, uh, which is kind of a weird, it's like the deep, dark sub-basement of filmmaking. It's sort of like this this thing you need to do when you shoot on camera, uh, with shoot on film cameras and you have a bunch of film negative. And in the time before like really high-end digital transfers, people were still cutting original film negative and making film prints. And that was sort of specializing in that uh, for, for a couple of years, almost five years, you know, it was a cool job and that I got to work with some fun people and learn a, a cool skill, but it was a really cool job. And that I got to meet a lot of local filmmakers in Seattle on the weekends. I started shooting for them. And, uh, so I knew how to shoot film and I had a day job so I could kind of work pretty cheap and people were doing like a little short here and there for a couple of hours. It, it was like a fun project. It wasn't like, uh, it didn't have to be my main source of income at that time. So I was able to try a bunch of different things and work on tons and tons of short projects. And I kind of fell in with a group of, um, dancers, like modern dancers that were doing these kind of like dance theater hybrid pieces in Seattle. And it was sort of a big scene back then. And the, that group of dancers, a lot of them were, uh, getting, uh, fine arts grants to make films. And so they, of the people in Seattle that were making short films, a lot of them were, were dancers. And so I kind of fell in with them and I, I never had any uh, desire to shoot like experimental dance films, but they were super, super fun, cool people and really good collaborators. And I kind of became the, like one of the guys that just got called to do that stuff for a long, long time. And eventually those uh, short films started to get longer and longer and some of these choreographers started moving into narrative filmmaking. And um, after, you know, five or six years of um, shooting small, short projects, it, the project started to get bigger and bigger, and eventually it became features. And then one one feature would lead to the next. And uh, I kind of started, eventually a couple of things got out into the festival world, and I'd start doing the festival circuit. And then I started shooting a lot. Um, and that was sort of how, how it came together. Around what time was this? I would have graduated college in 99. Uh, and then come out to, I bounced around a little bit, but I probably settled in Seattle, Seattle area, um, 2000, 2001. I was working in Seattle, but living in a, a smaller city called Olympia, Washington, which is sort of about 60 miles south of Seattle. And I would, I would drive in a couple days a week and work these really long days, cutting negative. And then in between all that stuff, I would go out and shoot movies with people. One of the earliest things I see on your CV is working uh, with Guy Madden and doing Brand Upon the Brain, which was one of my favorite films that I saw in 2006. That was uh, actually kind of a natural sort of progression of the story. You know, I, I for years was doing working with all these um, uh, choreographers shooting films for like doing dance stuff and kind of this weird uh, dance theater hybrid experimental shorts. And uh, at the time in Seattle, there was a uh, a nonprofit group, Northwest Film Forum, it's still there. They would show a lot of films. They were sort of like a good, very well curated rep art house cinema in Seattle. But they also had a, an educational segment to them that taught people at really good rates, uh, at really good tuition, um, that taught people how to um, how to make movies. And they were a nonprofit. They were like an arts, you know, an arts organization. At around 2005. There was a producer director that was, had made a lot of films in conjunction with the Northwest Film Forum. This guy named Greg Lashow made a couple. He made a couple features in Seattle. He was putting together a um, what he was 
trying to make as a nonprofit film studio, which was eventually called the Film Company. And uh, what he had wanted to do was, under the umbrella of this nonprofit Northwest Film Forum, uh, he wanted to put together a group that had uh, all of their key film staff on a salary. And what he wanted to do was uh, uh, get this group of people together and he wanted to kind of take them and then find artists that all of us as a group wanted to work with and just approach the artist with a deal that says, uh, we want to work with you. We want you to make anything that you want to make. And it just has to be a feature film over 70 minutes long. And it can't be an idea that you've worked with, you know, worked on before. We, his idea was that there's enough kind of like jumping through hoops, uh, trying in the film industry to convince someone to give you money because your idea is worth making your money back as a business venture. And what he wanted to do was to say, the money is already in place. This is a nonprofit. We have everybody here that can make your, uh, at the film company that can make your, your film. So we're just interested in you as an artist. What would you make if you could make whatever you wanted? We don't have a lot of money, but we have people for you. This guy, Greg Lashow, was putting together a group to ostensibly do this, this film company group. And uh, I was, I interviewed for the job as a DP. When he went to check my references, uh, this guy, Greg, had run a theater group. And a lot of these choreographers I'd been shooting with for years had worked with him for years doing like late night Seattle theater, cabaret, dance theater hybrid stuff. So inadvertently, everybody I'd been working with for years on these short, like no budget freebie jobs, it all kind of came full circle when they recommended me for this staff position as a guy who would be the staff cinematographer at the film company. And then the first two movies that the film company made were Guy Madden's Brand Upon the Brain and Lynn Shelton's We Go Way Back, which was her first feature. So, you know, I, I sort of was assigned to Guy and to Lynn because I was the the film company cinematographer and the film company was making their movies. So it all kind of worked out organically. And, it, you know, it took years to get there. But Guy's the best. He's we, He and I have worked together a ton since and he's become a good friend. And I would not have been able to, you know, work with him unless I'd sort of inadvertently put the time in with all these kind of freebie weekend jobs uh, in Seattle in the times leading up to this film company era. And then the film company went on to make Brand Upon the Brain. Yeah, because he's always pushing just what the camera can do and those different looks for everything and just cutting edge, but yet throwback look and feel to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it was like that was a dream come true. I mean, my all my sort of student film stuff was like that. It was always trying to do black and white and tell film films silently. And I was very into making things that were sort of universally approachable because they got around using language, text-based English language. And, uh, you know, I would do stuff in sync sound, but I was very into kind of German expressionism and, and you know, black and white horror. And and so to work with Guy, that's like a goldmine for that, and especially with Brand Upon the Brain. It was... You know, we it was all Murnau and kind of trying to channel Sunrise and Nosferatu and got to shoot all on Super 8 with a little bit of 16 thrown in there. And uh, just what a dream, you know. You also have worked with another friend of mine, which is uh, Todd Rohal. Ah, oh, Todd's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Todd's great. Yeah, we've, we've done a few movies together and then we co-wrote a, a little Adult Swim thing uh, a couple of years ago called Mops. And um yeah, no, Todd's amazing. I love working with him. He's real. He's busy right now. He's got a lot of stuff juggling. But yeah, that's funny. How do you guys know each other? There was a uh, little film festival in Baltimore that I would go down to, and his early stuff like um, Hillbilly Robot and uh, Knuckleface Jones showed down there. When we did Lynn Shelton's first movie, We Go Way Back, 
the uh, assistant director on that movie was Megan Griffiths, who was a director in her own right. And Megan went to um, film school with Todd Rohal. Lynn Shelton's first movie, We Go Way Back, got into Slamdance in 2006. That was like my first real film festival. And Megan was really excited because she was the AD on We Go Way Back, but she was also the AD on um, Guatemalan Handshake. With the Guatemalan handshake, exactly. So Megan was the the sort of nexus of all of it. She knew Todd's whole crew that showed up and had gone to school with a bunch of them. And then she knew Lynn and our whole crew from Seattle. And she kind of brought everybody together. And then eventually, uh, yeah, Megan went on to make a bunch of movies. And she helped Todd uh, bring um, Catechism Cataclysm up to Seattle. And so I worked with Todd on that. And then all of us, yeah, it was cool. Like Megan was sort of the, the linchpin of all that stuff. Um, but that's how that's how I met Todd. But yeah, just it all it all sort of flows together. Yeah, he's he's the best. I love working with that guy. That's um, that is every time I get in a room with him is it is painful laughing all day every day. Like working on set with him is is a joy. It's the best. You have done so much work as a cinematographer over the years. What are some of the favorite ones that you've worked on? I love the guy stuff. I love the, the Lynch Elton stuff. I have these sort of like. In my brain, there's these little mini chapters of things, you know, like there's this Seattle chapter where for a really long run, five or six years for, for a city like Seattle, there was just like movie after movie after movie getting made. So I, I kind of have this little umbrella of like there's a handful of Lynn Shelton movies like, you know, sort of like We Go Way Back, Hump Day, Your Sister's Sister, Touchy Feely. Uh, they all kind of meld in with like Megan Griffith's After Hours and uh, the catechism cataclysm with Todd and, and brand upon the brain. Like they're in, those are all sort of this like wonderful formative part of my, uh, filmmaking psyche that I, I always feel, um, like in the feature films, those are like, I kind of look back on and I'm really, I get really excited about because those are the ones that sort of helped me become what I'm hoping to be, you know, as far as an artist. And, and so I had that sort of the, like, it's almost like if you had a really, really great, you know, elementary school that was idyllic or something and like every, or like a summer camp that you went to that everybody made movies in. Like that's sort of how I feel about those. So like the personal attachment to an era includes those movies, but then um, less of a feature film, but I, I worked on a series for three years called red Oaks for Amazon. And uh, it was with um, David Gordon green and Hal Hartley and Amy Heckerling, a lot of really fun directors and, and they were great, but I, I had a, it was a, it was shot in New York state and it's sort of like, it takes place in 1985 and 1986 and 1987 corresponding to each season of the show. And um, the, the showrunners of that show, Joseph Gangemi and Gregory Jacobs were just like, those are, they, they sort of like set the bar really, really high for just the sort of what you can do with a production and what you can do with, with uh, being savvy about your, um, your resources as a, as a production entity. And, and just like, they just, they really set the bar high for like how to create a work environment for me. Like, you know, as I move into making my own stuff that they're sort of the benchmark for like how much fun and how well prepared and how meticulously and sweetly run a a kind of business venture can be. One of my all time favorite uh, gigs I ever had was um, I did three seasons of a show called the heart. She holler with this group called PFFR out of New York. And they, um, they made a show in the mid two thousands called uh, wonder shows. And that was at the time on MTV two, but it was kind of like a surrealist, crazy mixed up version of a, uh, of like a Sesame street, you know, or like a, 
or like a public broadcasting kids show. That was a show they did before I worked with them. And then I worked with them on a show called Archie Holler, which was sort of like they pitched that to me as um, if David Lynch had directed Hee Haw. Just fun, fun show. And um, I, I loved it. Like I loved every every minute of that show. And those guys really um, the the two kind of main writer directors, uh, Vernon Chapman and uh, John Lee, they just kind of showed me what you can do with comedy and what you can do with surrealism and what you can do with, with really creating a world and, uh, and adhering to like an artistic vision. They like, they, it was for adult swim and they were, they just had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted probably because of the street cred they had with wonder shows. And so there was never anybody saying no, it was just great. It was, it was just a great, great experience. And like the, the that sense of humor from those guys really, combined with like the sensibilities of like a Todd Rohal really that, that really stuck with me, you know, and it, it kind of comes out whenever, whenever there's like, it's time on set to write jokes. Th- those are the types of jokes that start to feel the closest to home. Tell me about banana split, because it seems like such a departure from everything that we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if, if you were to, uh, you know, travel back in time and tell me a few years ago that like I, I was going to make a feature and the, that this was going to be it, I would have told you you were probably crazy. Uh, on paper, it, it didn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense, but, um, I, uh, yeah, banana split. I, um, you know, I've been looking for something to direct for a while. Like I'd done a few shorts and, um, done a few music videos and occasionally I would get on as a, I'd be shooting a television series and they'd have rotating directors coming through of varying abilities and some sometimes you'd get someone that was just starting out and they were they had a really good skill set with a few elements of being a director but occasionally a, a director would come through and might need a little help with you know planning shot lists or working on coverage or helping out with certain types of blocking to help us get through a day in, a, in the right amount of time and so I had been touching down on some of the skill sets of directing and wanted to try something a little bit bigger and I'd been trying to sort of manifest that for a couple of years just by talking to other directors or making it known to showrunners I was working with or just talking to friends about it. And, and I was looking for the right thing. And um, back in 20, I think 2010, I met uh, Hannah Marks at the, we were both at the Sundance feature film labs. Uh, she was there as an actress and I was there as a cinematographer and the, um, you know, everybody knows the Sundance film festival, but the festival is just sort of one piece of the pie. That's the larger Sundance Institute. And, um, the Institute uh, does a um, feature film lab uh, where they bring eight projects, usually first or second time feature filmmakers apply. And they, they bring these filmmakers to uh, this mountain resort up in Sundance, in Utah. They give them a crew and they give them actors uh, and they give them, most importantly, a ton of mentorship to shoot and edit the hardest scenes from their unmade movie. And the idea is that you can workshop ideas and things to try out in your directing of a movie in an environment where the the final kind of workshop scenes never leave the mountain. They never leave, you know, the the uh, the lab. And the idea being that, like, you should try and you should fail and you should screw up and you should see where your skill sets lie. And you should see where the strengths and weaknesses of your screenplay are. And you should see where the strengths and weaknesses of your acting, uh, your directing of actors is. And, you know, the hope is that one would go through that and that lab as a filmmaker and come out and, you know, had played around and had not played around with the final product that is their movie and that they've been able to experiment, but not destroy their film career before it even gets going. And 
I had gone a few years as a cinematographer and they go and they attach you to two separate projects as a DP there. And um, that particular year, one of the projects was the workshop version of Marielle Heller's movie that would become Diary of a Teenage Girl. And so I was helping Marielle shoot scenes from that. And Hannah was there as the, as the lead actress for the workshop versions of that, of Diary of a Teenage Girl. And she and I became friends and I think we had worked with a couple people Similarly, and we knew some people through Seattle film back then. She was she was a younger actress. She was being asked to do a lot of kind of emotionally tough stuff. And it's, you know, it's a wonderfully supportive environment. But it's also like everybody sees your work on Saturday night. You know, every, like all the scenes get cut together and people watch them and talk about them and get critiqued. And um, it's a tough job for an actor. Uh, and she was doing some pretty intense work. And I just I had been on a lot of sets especially with uh, Lynn Shelton and Megan Griffiths by that point where the, the sets are really centered around um, performance and making actors comfortable and making uh, an environment where an actor can feel vulnerable, but taken care of. And that's not really just the responsibility of the director. You really, as a DP, you need to kind of help set that tone. And so Marielle and, and I really tried to make an environment for all her actresses, but in particular Hannah at that time just make a place where she could feel safe. And um, I think some of that resonated with her, with Hannah. And uh, over the years, we just, we stayed in touch and we became friends. And um, every time we were like working on things, we would like nudge the other person and ask them to check something out or like take a look at a script. Or if we were about to work with somebody, we knew the other person knew we write and ask what it was like to work with them. And just, just the kind of sort of, it was a mix of like, you know, professional recon and, just checking in and showing off what we were working on when we were happy with it or could just kind of stay in each other's orbits a bit. And in the last few years, Hannah had started to make her own uh, shorts and then eventually was making a, uh, a feature that she had co-written and was co-directing with a guy named Joey power. And Hannah wrote one day and was like, Hey, will you, you want to get lunch? I want to show you this thing. And she brought a script that she had co-written with Joey power for uh, what would become banana split and uh, she just she you know, we were just hanging out. She asked me to take a look at it and I took it home and read it. And I just thought it was really, really, really funny and really, really, really smart. And I thought she just wanted notes on it. And I, I remember kind of writing her and being like, I don't know what to tell you. This is really good. I can't wait till you make it. And she wrote back and she's like, well, here's the deal. Like I'm in post on my movie, uh, which eventually came out. It was called After Everything. Um, it was premiered at South by Southwest a couple of years ago as Shotgun, but they changed the name. Um, before it came out and, and that's out and you can rent it now. You know, she wanted to make this movie, uh, Banana Split. It was heavily autobiographical. She wanted to make it soon, um, uh, because she was afraid that she would not, uh, believably play high school aged for very much longer. She knew that she was going to be in the weeds on post production with this directing effort with After Everything. That's sort of how I got roped into it in a good way. Uh, and she knew I wanted to direct and, um, and then uh, one thing sort of led to another. So how was the relationship working with your writer slash friend slash lead actress as a director? It was the best. It was the best. And I, I mean, and I don't think that scenario being as successful as it is is pretty rare. Um, and a lot of that has to do with with Hannah as a person and Hannah as a professional. Like the story of Banana Split wasn't like a a direct play for play of something that happened to Hannah, but it was a version of this movie happened to her and she used it to, to fuel this, this comedy because it was super autobiographical. She had certain ways she was seeing it and she was always envisioning herself in the lead. 
what's great about Hannah professionally is like she's a really solid actress. She's really, really prepared. She's really into the craft of acting and she's really good at it. The sort of moment to moment, let's do let's let's get this scene on the feet on its feet. Let's rehearse it. Let's talk through, you know, what what characters are going through, where we're at emotionally, how this uh, a scene needs to fit into the larger uh, context of a, you know, a 90 minute film. Like that, those moments with her are almost on autopilot. She's she's not only lived a version of this story, she's written a preparation in in terms of um, a funnier, uh, more anxiety ridden version of herself on screen. So she knows it inside out. And so while we're shooting, it's pretty minimal notes with Hannah. Like as a director, it's kind of like he kind of do these very gentle steerings, and we would try, we would play around and experiment mostly because I knew she would understand that if we tried a few different takes on a comedic or dramatic moment that she would, she knew that we could throw it into the edit and be able to craft a different type of performance that we might get that we might see on set. And so, you know, I I had this, this wonderful experience of working with an actress who's really good at her job, who was incredibly well prepared. She can fully commit to a scene as a performer. And then as soon as you yell cut, she can switch her brain over into like structure writer mode and we can talk through what's good about the scene and what's what we might want to try as an alternative to a scene because uh, three scenes later in the screenplay X, Y, Z is going to happen and we need to earn it, you know, or uh, way at the end, we have a different version of an ending that we might try that would be helpfully motivated if we tried this scene in a different emotional space. And so, not only not only is she wonderfully professional as an actress, she's wonderfully professional as a writer uh, and director who understands structure and understands comedy and understands drama and understands how to sort of build and land a character's involvement with the story. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a very common work space to have when you're stepping into something as a director with a writer, producer, performer that's working in an autobiographical space. So like she's a really special, like not only talented, but very special, especially equipped uh, filmmaker and that she can structurally and creatively oversee uh, producing a film and also fully commit to a wonderful performance in the moment and still be open to collaborative note taking and ideas. And like, I think someone else could, could very easily fall into being like obstinate or just dig in their heels because something didn't feel like what their life was like in their mind at a certain time. Whereas Hannah was just like, that could be funny. Let's try it. Or let's, you know, if we do one that's a little more sad, we might earn a moment later, you know, so she just, she just got the idea of the edit and she got the idea that even very rarely do all of them meet up. So much of this movie is her, but then so much is Leon Liberato. And how do you find that actress and make it so believable that they can have such a deep friendship? Yeah, we were really, really lucky that to have her. But what was kind of the, the best, uh, the best, uh, easiest thing about casting Liana is that Liana and Hannah have been really good friends since they were eight and nine years old. Oh, wow. So they're both. Yeah, they're both like working. They were working child actors that are still in it and still working constantly. And um, they, you know, Hannah in multiple iterations of writing this script would, would read it with Liana um, to sort of perfect things and try things. And Clara, I think, is a, is is sort of t- cast against type as Liana. I think she would tell you that, that she's not really a Clara in real life but um but hannah uh hannah and her have known each other for such a long time 
when we were looking to cast Clara, uh, Liana for a little while wasn't available and our shoot schedule for Banana Split was changing pretty rapidly. And then all of a sudden we had this window where uh, not only was Liana available, she was really excited to do it. And we were, you know, we were uh, able to shoot at a time where, you know, Liana's a very busy working actress that's pretty, pretty in demand. So we were able to like schedule out about six weeks of shooting with her and she was able to commit to it. You know, as a director, and especially as a first time director, it's really wonderful to have two people that are uh, supposed to sell this friendship that feels motivated and real on screen. It's really wonderful that in real life they have, you know, 15, 16 years of, of backstory to draw from, you know, that they that they were young together and like young working child actors together living in the same apartment complex with their families and having like a similar kind of childhood that's you know but to most people the child actors uh life is is an outlier it doesn't it it's not like you come from a town you wake up you go to an elementary school every day you come home your parents are you know dropping you off at, at school like it's a just a different lifestyle so it was really nice to have two people that had gone through that together and kind of had a similar upbringing, if you will, I guess, like to professional. Not only were they, did they have like the childhood experiences, actors and, you know, living away from where they were born and having parents that sort of were stage parents to a degree um, and going through homeschooling and going through onset schooling together. Like they had that, but they also had the ups and downs of being teenage friends. You know, I think Hannah will, Hannah's really good at playing the more anxious version of herself because she's, she knows how to make it funny. And Liana's really good at stretching beyond what she, what her real life is like. So she could lean into the sort of more fun, faster living elements of Clara and have a good time with it. But then they could both come back to this shared life experience to draw from. So, you know, if we were about to get into a fight scene, we could talk about you know, when they were 13 years old, and they didn't talk for a few months or, or when we were about to like have some fun and they were supposed to be high. We could talk about when they were kids and just like hyperactive and totally blissed out of their mind on sugar and running around like maniacs. And, you know, they just it, it's a real it, this was a, a, a project filled with a lot of sort of gifts from a larger universe. You know, and one of them was your two main actresses have known each other for most of their lives and uh, have all of this backstory to draw on at a moment's notice that sort of uh, inadvertent character preparation on a, a low budget film set really, really saves the day of all the things that can take your time away from the, a scheduled 12 hour day of making a movie without a lot of resources. The one thing I think that a lot of directors wish they had was time with their actors. And uh, we didn't have a lot of time to rehearse this, but those two had a lot of time to create these characters just by living their lives. Ben, it sounds like this was the most idyllic feature <laughs> debut that you could possibly have. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, and I think a lot of it too was I, there's difficulties on any of these sets, right? Like there's difficulties making anything. Like I'm, I don't know, I, I say this a lot with friends. Like I'm, I'm not into making fun of movies, you know, I'm not into like making fun of someone else's movie. I know how hard it is to get anything made and to get something made and in front of an audience let alone have somebody like try and give you some money back for your investors efforts is a miraculous to me. And I know I live and work in the film industry and it happens every day. And at some point it should feel like 
this is just business as usual, but there's still a, a part of this to me that's just like, if you can make anything, I'm not going to make fun of you. Like, you know, like if I don't like your movie, it just, it's probably just that it's for somebody else's sensibilities or there's just things that aren't for me. But this, like anything else, has its like really hard days, you know, like there was long days and, you know, we shot a lot of this movie uh, in Syracuse, New York, you know, of the six weeks of shooting, five weeks were in the, in the late, late fall, early winter in Syracuse. And so if you, you know, as you watch the movie, if you can imagine being able to see out some of those windows, uh, there's snow on the ground and there's, there's snow and rain and sleet in the air and, um, you know, just, just tricky, tricky long days. And, um, uh, and then like, you know, the, the, the week that we spent in Los Angeles was really long. And, you know, there's the sort of war stories that almost anyone would tell you, but, um, I think a mix of having really professional actors, not only in, in Hannah and Leon, but also, um, uh, Luke Spencer Roberts and Dylan Sprouse and Jacob Batalon and Addison Rickey, who plays the younger sister and Jessica Hecht, who plays uh, Susan, their mom. It's, is there's just, you know, I got really lucky with people that are really good at their job, especially in the performing end of this, which stepping into directing from, uh, if you're coming to it, uh, not from, not as an actor and not as a theater director, I think that the, the general stereotype of, working with actors, quote unquote, it can be pretty daunting, but I, I didn't have a lot of that. I'd been on a lot of sets and sort of seen successful and unsuccessful actor collaborations. And it, you know, had had a lot of directors that I'd worked with that had both good lessons and lessons that weren't so much for me as far as how to set the tone on set. And there was a lot of pre-education and there was a lot of mentorship that led up to this, that sort of gave some confidence. And then as an indie movie, Banana Split to me had actually had a very workable and reasonable budget. And I never, I never felt the financial strain that I would have felt on, on films, especially early on in my career where it's, where you literally are, are, you know, wrestling out a, a feature film in 10 days and the whole thing, including post, you know, doesn't really break $40,000. Like, I mean, the big thing for me is like, you can either like have this idea of what a movie is supposed to be and like stick to that. And the universe is just going to like, try and make it impossible. That's one sort of, you know, brain space or the other, which I find much more successful is there's a movie you're trying to make, you know what it's supposed to be. And if the universe starts throwing these like curveballs at you and monkey wrenches in the machinery, you can absorb those and kind of take it as a sort of a gift, you know, or, or try to take it as a source of inspiration. And um, if you do that, the movie is going to be better for it. You're going to be happier for it the project will become bigger than the sum of the part people working on it at the time you were shooting it or the, the equipment you have or didn't have, or the location you have or didn't have. Like, um, so to me, a big part of it is just like, all right, like we didn't get enough extras today. Let's just, rec let's just figure out how to shoot the scene. So we use what we have and we're probably going to get a better idea anyway. Nine times out of 10, that's exactly what happens in retrospect. It does sound like a pretty idyllic first feature and it, and it does feel that way. But I think a lot of that was, professionalism in, in the performers in the area where I was probably the most nervous, which was working with actors. And a lot of that was probably just years of, of learning. It's more proactive than rolling with the punches of low budget filmmaking. It's, it's more like, um, seeing limitations as a gift, you know? Well, how was the film received when it came out? Yeah, we did pretty well. We, we premiered it a long time ago at 2018, the last Los Angeles film festival, that's probably the most nervous I'd been was, was, um, the premiere. I, I was, you know, we had tested every 
week or so during post-production, we, um, Brendan Walsh, the editor and I, we were bringing in friends to get notes in particular because a lot of the sort of female gender politics that underscore a lot of the movie, we wanted to make sure that Brendan and I are both sort of straight white guys, like on paper where it doesn't really make sense that we should be telling the story. So like he and I both wanted to make sure that we were handling certain things with some sensitivity and also keeping the humor intact. And so a lot of we almost every week we would have our sort of like smart lady friend directors that we'd worked with come in and give us give us notes. And we had some friends that were really generous with that. So we we kind of knew where we stood as far as the politics went. And we'd shown it to enough people that were laughing at the right point that we knew it wasn't just us alone in a room thinking we were being funny. But I was more worried about like the sort of critic critic slash industry end of it. And probably because um, you know, I've only, I've been working in film for a long time, but I've only really lived in Los Angeles and sort of felt like full time on the outskirts of this Hollywood thing with like, you know, agents in Beverly Hills and the whole, you know, that whole stereotype has really only existed full time in my life for about three years. So this is the first time that like that, that sort of like, what are the, what are they going to think with variety? And like, what, what is LA weekly going to think like those kind of, you know, the filmmaker part of me doesn't really care about the reviews, the sort of career longevity business side of me that thinks like, if I want to keep doing this for a long time, I need to learn how to play the game. Um, that side of me was curious as to how this was going to go down. And when I say curious, I mean, totally nervous. That all went really well. The reviews were pretty good. We got a second screening from LAFF and the people at Film Independent that are sort of intrinsically tied to the Los Angeles Film Festival have always been very supportive with me. And we were sort of like in a bit of a limbo as far as not a lot of movies were picked up out of Los Angeles Film Festival. And so we had a a little bit of a lull after that. And then there was like rapid fire. I I really went crazy uh, with film festival applications and sort of, uh, you know, the years I'd been going to film festivals, like kind of calling up anybody I'd ever screened with and seeing if we could get a, you know, a fee waiver and, and, and film festival world is very supportive of, of alumni and very supportive of new directors. And so I got, I got really lucky and I'm very grateful to a lot of friends that, that, you know, helped waive fees and, and, uh, get, a get us in front of people's eyes. And we had a really good, like year and a half plus of, of a film festival run for the most part had like really good press. And, uh, uh, I did a lot of a couple bigger festivals and a couple regional festivals and a lot of little tiny ones that I could any, any time I could go somewhere I would and got to travel a lot with it, which was great. Um, critically, I didn't, you know, it was nice to have that attention, but what I really wanted was to make sure that like the movie felt universal to anybody. Like I wanted the sort of coming of age part of it to feel timeless. And the best compliment I get in that realm is like, some yeah, every now and then I'll I'll get on the phone with somebody who's like in their fifties and they're like, I didn't think this movie was gonna be for me at all and I loved it. And like that's that's great. You know, or like It's gotta feel a little surreal for you to have had this out two years ago and now you're talking about it again almost as if it's a, a fresh project. <laughs> but I am curious, what are you working on these days? I mean, I've had a few things happen in between. I um it's it's a little schizo like I'm still I'm still shooting all the time. I still shoot constantly and I I kinda wanna keep shooting as well as directing. And like, I'd like to be able to go back and forth. And so, you know, we, we had our premiere with the LA film festival on like a Friday night. And then on the following Monday, I started shooting, um, the, like the between two ferns movie, the Zach Galifianakis, uh, movie. And like, so that, that in, in the time since has come out, that's out on, you can watch it on uh, Netflix now. 
while I was editing Banana Split, I co-wrote and directed an episode of the HBO series Room 104. Um, so if people want to look that up, that's in season three. There's an episode called Night Shift that's kind of like the male. It's got some a little bit of like the male equivalent of the of some of the stuff that's touched on the Banana Split, but it's more of like a uh, a tribute to like 70s British like Hammer horror movies. And it's sort of like my my uh, my movie about like if if Banana Split's about like uh, like a young wonderful girl friendship, this movie is about like like toxic male adolescents that never really grow up, and uh, and sort of about an obsession like a more than low grade obsession with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. So there's there's that, and then uh, I directed on uh, eight episode. Uh, it's sort of an interactive, like choose your own adventure mini series that's um, we're in post on it right now, and with all the sort of virus stuff right now we're we're at a little bit of a standstill until uh the industry kicks back in again but um that's a a show called owl moon uh and it's about a a band in laurel canyon in 1974 that are trying to make their second record and sort of self-destructing and it's sort of like a choose your own adventure movie with a with a couple cool musicians it's uh uh, these two brothers who are in the Lemon Twigs from New York, and then this guy Sam France from a band called Foxygen, uh, and uh, James Jagger, and a couple other couple other fun people show up in it. I'm still directing, and I'm still you know interviewing to shoot stuff and reading scripts all the time, and trying to get some writing in with this with this uh, semi quarantine that we have in Los Angeles right now. But uh, also, I'm I'm uh, recovering from a, a really long year and a half of uh, a festival tour, which is a lot of airplanes and a lot of international travel. Luckily, uh, you got that done before you can't travel internationally or, uh... yeah, yeah. We, we got out of the last, the last trip I did, we were, uh, I got out of Italy, uh, right as it was breaking. Like it was pretty intense, but we're home now and, and um, uh, things are good. People are, people are a uh, hold up and staying cozy and trying to write and, um, yeah, talking to people about the next, uh, the next thing to direct. Ben, it was so nice talking with you. Thank yeah, you so much. Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for making time and, and reaching out. And I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, no, I started going through some of your, your past episodes. I'm excited to dive into the to the podcast. And, and yeah, I hope we, we cross paths out in real life sometime. And yeah, if you're ever coming to L.A., please drop a line. I'm around.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.